Welcome to the Miss Wrap-Up Show. I'm joining you for the second part of our Central Preview. We will be talking about the National League Central with special guest Devin and special guest Jimmy returning for the show. We'll talk about the winners, we'll talk about the Pagoda rankings, we'll talk about who the bottom fears are, and we'll just talk about the general storylines. I hope you guys enjoyed the AL Central portion of our podcast. And without further ado, here is the National League Central Preview. I'm always walking after midnight searching for you. All right, so as noted in the intro, we're back with the National League Central. So thank you for listening to the American League Central. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode. But this one should be a little bit shorter because there's not as many talking points because it's very top heavy. So I'm back with Devin and Jimmy. We're going to be talking about the National League Central. What's up, guys? Hey, what's, what's going up? on? Not much, man. So let's get into the National League Central. So let's go through the division winners, and then we'll go through what Pagoda thinks is going to happen. So, Devin, let's start with you. Who do you think is winning the National League Central? So I'm going Brewers here. Um, I'm putting them at 92 wins. Uh, Cardinals coming in second. Cubs down in third. Reds, Pirates. Interesting. Jimmy, what about you? Uh, I'm going to ditto with what Devin said. i right there with him. And I'm going to be three for three. So I think the both both central divisions, we are three for three. I agree. I think the Brewers will edge out the Cardinals. I think the Cardinals did improve this year, but not enough to get past the Brewers. And the, the Brewers had a sneaky good offseason, which I'll get into. Um, but as far as Pagoda, they agree with us. Pagoda believes that Milwaukee will win this division with 88 wins. And they had the Pirates winning 59 games. So that's the bottom of the division. But interestingly enough, we just had a conversation off air about it. But the Cardinals are destined in their eyes to win 80 games. And that's even after acquiring one of the best third basemen, best hitters in baseball, Nolan Arenado. So what do you guys think about that? I mean, I, so I'm going to talk more about the Cardinals in detail a little later, but yeah, when we just saw that projection off air, I I took a quick look and I, I kind of get it. Like, I guess you think of the Arenado trade and you think, Oh, well, they're going to clearly be really good. Um, but their lineup is not something where you look one to nine and you're super impressed. Um, and rotation wise, they definitely have question marks that they need some guys to have bounce back years this year, uh, in order to be as good of a team as they're, they're uh, hoping to be. hundred percent. And obviously we're looking at the reds. They got worse too. They lost Trevor Bauer who won the Cy Young. So they took a huge step back and, they didn't even win a division last year with him in tow for the shortened season. So believe it or not, as much as the Cubs are tearing things down, they were the, they were the division winner last year. And that seems like it was a million years ago because the Cubs are far and removed. It seems like they're not the favorite and not the sexy pick for the NL central this year. But I think we all can agree that the Brewers are the best team. So let's start with them. I think they're the class of the division. And they made a a couple of sneaky moves that I think are of note. Most importantly, I think the biggest move they made was taking Colton Wong off of St. Louis and bringing them to their lineup in the leadoff. So Colton Wong was a huge piece for not only the Cardinals when they were winning World Series, but every year he was kind of the heart and soul of that lineup. And he's what kind of made them go outside of Yadier Molina um, and outside of, I guess, Paul Goldschmidt uh, over the course of the last two years. Cold Juan is the player that you the Cardinals really leaned on. So not only to acquire him 
on, on your team, you're taking him away one of the best players off of your division rivals team. So it's even better, even sweeter for the Brewers. Do you guys think that is a bigger move as I think it is for the, for the Brewers this year? I, I love, do. I love the move. Yes, I, I agree. Do you think so? Colton Wong kind of fits the Cardinal way. And I think one of the biggest things that I pulled away from his presser from them, I don't know if you guys saw the introductory presser he did with the Brewers when they kind of showed up, you know, they gave him his jersey and all that. He talked a little bit about, took a shot at the Cardinals saying that he can be himself and kind of have a personality, which is different than how they did things in, in St. Louis. So I thought that was a, like a veiled shot at the Cardinal way. What do you guys think about that? Devin first, I guess. Uh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think he's probably a little bitter that they let him go. Um, clearly, I mean, who knows what kind of offers he had out there, but I feel like a lot of times you see in sports when a guy is a little bit pissed, he's been with a team for a little while and they, they don't make an effort to keep him. Uh, sometimes they go out of their way to, to sign with a division rival. And in this case, he didn't just sign with anybody in the division. Uh, he signed in with the, you know, the, the main competitor at this point for the Cardinals. So yeah, I took it as a little bit of a shot. Um, but I think he's being honest. I think he does feel a little more free. Um, and that I'm not surprised that he's trying to say the Cardinals are a little bit, uh, you know, stifling. Um, I could completely see that in that organization. What about you, Jimmy? Um, so when I think of the Cardinals, I, for some reason, I just think of them as maybe old school Yankees, uh, very like kind of by the book, you know, with this whole, whole thing with the facial uh, hair. And I don't know, I just think of the Cardinals as kind of just like, Hey, you know, kind of like just like a boring, boring team and a rule, rule abiders. Uh, so I, yeah, I can see that they're like, kind of like one of the old school franchises in baseball. And there is a thing that they actually entitled the Cardinal way of how they play baseball. I'm not a huge fan of the St. Louis Cardinals. They do have, you can't dispute the fact that they have an historic, um, History with, you know, the lineage with all these Hall of Famers from Stan Musial to Albert Pujols to, I guess, even Yadier Molina. They have a history. I mean, even the surprise runs that they had a few years back, I guess not a few years, but it's like 10 years ago at this point. But teams make runs that even shouldn't even make runs to the World Series. So they just kind of have a winning pedigree, similar to like the Patriots. It's been a while since they've been like good, like where you expect the Cardinals to be, though. Like, doesn't it feel like it's been a longer amount of time than usual for them? Absolutely. And uh, it's weird because they usually do it with pieces that are not the big name. So you can make an argument that Goldschmidt has not really worked out to the way they thought it was going to work out. And I, in, in the way history has shown, potentially Arenado won't work out the same way. Maybe he will. But they like to find those gritty players similar to like the Red Sox when the Red Sox go on those runs, um, like the Mitch Morelands, like the, the Colton Wongs to build their team around and find a way like remember the year with Jason Mott where he was their elite closer and where'd he go? It's kind of like they find the scrap heap and they, they mold them into the player that they want them to be. So long story short, I think it's, it's, it's something that the structures in place for the Cardinals to be good. It's just like, you're right. They haven't been good in quite some time, despite having the talent to do so. So, you know, you say they're not good. I'm looking at the franchise history since 2001. So 20 years, they've only had one year that they have were below 500. 
Yeah, I mean, it makes sense to me. And the funny part is the year they were under 500, I think they won the World Series, right? That was the year that they... So I think I'm holding them to a little bit of a higher standard, I guess, than, than like your average team. I just feel like the last, I don't know, three years, and this is, I'm not looking at any standings or anything. I just feel like the last three years, they haven't been as relevant as maybe you, you expect the Cardinals to be. So like, yeah, above 500, I get that, but I feel like they're usually one of the... I don't know, top five, six, seven teams that people are talking about and are in the mix. And I, I don't I don't feel like that's been the case for a little while now. And funny enough that we are still talking about the Brewers and somehow the Cardinals overshadowed them. So I think that's kind of the story of the NL Central where even though the Brewers are the better team, people are talking about the Cardinals. They're talking about the Aronado move. They're talking about just the Cardinals making the run back to, to relevance, like you've been saying. But the Brewers are kind of the team now. And despite they didn't win the division last year and they only finished, I mean, they finished five games back from the division title last year. And again, that's the 2020 season, but their team is built to win now, obviously with Christian Yelich being the centerpiece of that lineup, but they also have a lot of talent from one through nine. Kesson Herrera is a player that he's finally locked into playing first for them because Colton Wong is going to be playing second. And that was the thing with Herrera where they weren't sure where he was playing. So he was kind of playing everywhere and that's be tough for a young player He's 24 years old. He's only seen limited amount of major league time. And you don't know where you're playing every day. You could be playing in the outfield. You could play in second base. You're playing third base. And now that he's locked into playing first base every day, I think that's going to be huge for his psyche, huge for his production. And I think now that he's going to be, he's batting cleanup behind Christian Yelich. We're going to see huge production from him, in my opinion. And we can see him take the next step to what they thought he'd be when he was called up. Yeah, I love that. I love the, the fact other that he, he can play first base now and kind of, um, I don't know, I feel like sometimes you, you can relax a little bit um, with Wong uh, bringing the defensive club to second. Um, yeah, the way you put it, it, it makes me think he could have a huge season for sure. What's troubling to me, though, is their pitching staff. So, and I hesitate to mention it because he's someone I'm targeting in fantasy. And I guess everyone that's doing the research knows about him, but Brandon Woodruff is considered an ace. He's someone that all fantasy, you know, prospectus and people that are doing the research believe he's going to be an ace fantasy wise. And also for major league baseball for the brewers, but I don't see it. Like when I watched him pitch, I think we talked about in the last one with AL central, a guy like Brady Singer, we watched him pitch, and you, you watch the swagger. You watch Jacob DeGrom go out there, or Max Scherzer. You watch even Shane Bieber. You go out there, and you look the part. I don't get that from Brandon Woodruff. And looking deeper into the numbers with him, he's someone who doesn't pitch with anyone on base, and the numbers reflect that. When, some, when players are on base, when batters are on base, and they're putting the ball in play, and they're giving him a little bit of a headache with uh, guys on base, and he has to keep an eye on them, his ERA jumps almost double. So I think the blueprints out for Woodruff, it's get on base and cause a little havoc and he's going to, he's going to break down. And I truly see that happening this year. Um, that that's been historically his, his kind of bugaboo is he can't hold runners on. And then also he kind of falls apart when the innings kind of get out of hand. He doesn't really work well when he's in trouble. Do you guys get that vibe from uh, Jimmy? When you watch him pitch, do you think he's someone that, kind of has the it factor like it's hard to hard to yeah i mean like when you when you put in comparison to you know the 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 groms and the scherzers i i i can see how it doesn't step step out at you really but i mean you wonder too you're 
in Milwaukee. It's not a big, you know, big city draw. Do you feel like that? The, I guess the players or like the pitchers don't have that hype behind it, or the following kind of like that East Coast bias that you would see, um, like I guess we're accustomed to. Do you feel like that's a factor in like the coverage as well? That's a, I mean, it's a good question, but like just watching the man pitch, I feel like he doesn't have the it factor. Whereas the guy who's number two in the rotation has a little bit more oomph to behind him, which is Corbin Burns, but he doesn't have the the pedigree yet. He doesn't, he showed a lot in the shortened season, but can he do it over the long haul? And historically he's been like kind of a long reliever for them. He hasn't shown that he can do it. So will Corbin Burns be able to take the next jump and be maybe the next Shane Bieber and be the ace of the staff and take control of that, of that rotation, let Brandon Woodruff be what he truly is, which is probably a two or three. I think Corbin Burns is the more exciting player for me. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't like this rotation at all either. Like, but I honestly, that's kind of a theme for this whole division. Like, n- there's no rotation that is really like, oh shit, like this is gonna be scary to go against three days in a row or four days in a row. Honestly, the 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 best one-two punch that this division might have, as far as pitching staff goes, is the team that. We all have them fourth, the Reds. Like they still have Luis Castillo and and Sonny Gray back to back, and if they pitch at the top of their game, that's not so bad. Uh, but I obviously uh, that's not to say they're going to make a, any noise to win the division. But the teams that we have the top, the Cardinals. When I when I talk about them a little bit more, I feel the same way about their rotation. Yeah, and before we move on from the Brewers. Looking at their top prospects, they only have one in the top 100 that's even sort of on the way. So their prospect pool is a little bit leaving you wanting more. And that's an older team we have on our hands. Like they're relying a lot on a 35 year old Lorenzo Kane. Colton Wong is age 30. Trish, uh, Christian Yelich will be 30. Obviously, Herrera was their top prospect. Um, he's only 25. And if he winds up being what he is and he winds up being the player you can build around, then it doesn't look as bad. But we talked a little bit about, I mean, they're competing now, but when there's no help on the way in the, in the prospect pool, you better hope that Kesson Herrera works out. You better hope that the signing of Colton Wong works out because then you're wasting the prime years of a guy like Christian Yelich. Yeah. Their, their window is not very big at this point, um, but it's a weird division because I don't, I don't know if their window closes soon. I don't really know who's like ready to, to grab it and clearly be the new front runner. Um, but to me, my last point on the Brewers is it's Christian Yelich, man. Like, it's all about him this year. He, I think, had an interview recently where he pretty much tore himself apart for last season. He said there was just nothing good about it. Like, it was it was all bad. Um, and one of the guys on the MLB Network was saying, like, diving deeper into it to try to find out, like, what went wrong, he actually got a lot of pitches to hit. Like, a lot of good pitches to hit. He just He just missed them or hit him right at people. So like, there's really no excuse to say like, this is why he had a bad season. He just had a bad season. I don't expect that to happen again. Um, I think he's going to tear it up this year. Yeah. And Jimmy, you get to reap the benefits of that. You've had Yelich since to be your third year with him and he will be a first overall pick, for you, but he's someone that is, I mean, that's the value you're going to get from him. If he's, if he is healthy and he's yeah. right. Uh, All right. So you have one more point about the, no, I was going to say about Yelich. I mean, you think about maybe, other possible choices in the position Well, my first round pick, I mean, I feel like that's still kind of the steal for me with a little bit later of a pick. It also depends on your mindset of what you'd like to do. Some 
managers like myself like to go pitching first overall. And that really, I guess, has sort of worked out for me. I make the playoffs almost every year, but I can never make the next jump. And a, a team like Bazada, who always drafts offense, and I think you can kind of see the writing on the wall. He's taking someone like Mookie, and you're taking Yelich. It's really hard to say, like, what what is the most valuable thing in the league? Obviously, a guy like Yelich is going to play, you know, 155 games and have over 600 bats, and that's a more valuable than maybe getting the best pitcher in the league because he's only pitching one once every five days. But like you said before in the last podcast, outfield is pretty plentiful and you can find it. You can find that production elsewhere and it may not be elite production, but you can find it. Um, you really can't find the starting pitching. So to tie that in with fantasy, um, everyone's strategy is a little bit different. All right. So moving on to, I guess we'll start with the cards, right? Because I think we're, we all agree that they'll be second in the division. Yep. Right. Can we all uh, agree yeah, on that? I think we agree on that. All right. So let's move on to the cards. All right. So I, I said before that, like, uh, just taking a look at the lineup and the rotation, it was kind of disappointing. And uh, Steve had mentioned the 80 win projection that he saw, which was a little bit shocking. Um, and don't get, don't get me wrong, I wouldn't put them at 80 wins, but I kind of get it. I get why they're. Uh, uh, kind of bursting their bubble a little bit with that. The ro- the the lineup go- looks like this as far as one projection. Tommy Edmond, Paul DeJong, uh, Paul Goldschmidt, who's been kind of a mixed bag since he's gotten there. Uh, not the same guy we saw in Arizona. He looks a little more comfortable now. Uh, Nolan Arenado, uh, very, very old. Yadier Molina will still play great defense, call a great game. Who knows what you get from him on offense. Tyler O'Neill, which seems to be – we've seen kind of – he, he hasn't – I feel like he's never really been there for a long amount of time, like, straight through. I feel like he's been called up and put back down or put on the bench um, because there's been other guys there. He should get a long look this year. Seems to be the kind of guy who could hit you a bunch of home runs, not going to hit for a very high, high average. Uh, Dylan Carlson, who's their biggest prospect, he should actually be there this year. He's been up at times before, but as far as a full season, um, I believe this will be his first one. I think he's like 13th on the top 100, so a very high prospect, and I think he's a big, big X factor for them. He's going to need to come up and rake right away for them to have any really um, sustained offense, in my opinion. Harrison Bader at the bottom, a guy who will play good defense. Another guy, I see a projection here for a 19 home runs for him. That that sounds high to me, Um, but who knows. Um, For me, in the lineup, obviously the Nolan Arenado thing is the – obvious one there uh i kind of wonder he's coming from the nl west just like goldschmidt he's coming from an extremely hitter friendly uh ballpark just like goldschmidt even more so than goldschmidt actually i wonder if he's gonna have the same kind of first season in a st louis uniform as goldschmidt just like a little underwhelming and a lot of starts and stops like oh he had a good like two or three days and then two or three weeks are just very quiet that I had Goldschmidt that first year. He was in St. Louis. I took him because I thought he was going to kill it there immediately, and I was sorely disappointed. Um, I, I, Arnaud was going to play a great third base for you. There's no doubt about that, but I, I could see him having a very similar year offensively as Goldschmidt that first year. Uh, and as I said, I think Carlson is the X factor in that offense. If he's great right away, I mean, you have a pretty nice uh, group of players with uh, Arnado. Goldschmidt and Carlson, but he's got to live up to it. Rotation, yuck, in, in my opinion. Uh, obviously, I love Jack Flaherty, so I'm not putting him in, him in that yuck. He's my guy. Um, 
Never really got started last year. I think he'll be fine this year. Um, Quain Young Kim in the rotation. Adam Wainwright, who's got to be like 67 years old by now, <laughs> um, can still throw a really mean hook. Uh, Carlos Martinez, who, I mean, this guy's just fucking confused at this point. Like, is he is he a starter? Is he a closer? Do you even want him on the team? He's a mess, man. I, he's just, a, in my opinion, at this point, a guy that was once nasty lights out. I, I think he's like a train wreck waiting to happen most of the time. He's going to strike some guys out, and then he's going to also – He reminded me of Pedro when he yeah, first came up. He I really know, did. and now I feel like even last year, was he was he their closer for a little while? He was, he, yeah. He, and he, then got, he, he got COVID. He blew up. He got COVID. Uh, he did, yeah, but he was – even the year before that, he was all over the place. He was pitching well, dyed his hair blue. I don't even remember this. And then he started pitching – he didn't pitch well again, got rid of the blue hair because, uh, for like, he thought it was a bad, bad luck thing. And then he never really – I think they put him in the bullpen. It was like all – he was all over the place. So, Devin, your assessment is pretty – Yeah, I feel like he's the kind of guy who can, like, strike out a ton and also, like, walk six or seven guys in the same outing. And he's like only through four innings. <laughs> it's like so a little maddening there. Uh, Miles Mikolas is, I, I think he's a big uh, question mark in the rotation. If we get the same Mikolas we saw a couple years ago, then now you're talking. Now, now you, that 80 win total looks very, very, very low. But if if you're getting kind of a washed up version, um, I think they're in trouble rotation wise. Honestly, um, as far as prospects go. They're not very highly rated. I, I think I saw 20th. Let me just double check. Uh, Cardinals are, yeah, 20th on the list of the, you know, the top farm systems. Uh, Carlson's already here. Matthew Libertor, if he can make it up, maybe he even makes the team out of opening day. I'm not sure what's going on there. Uh, but he could be a huge lift to that rotation. Uh, left-handed prospect. The interesting thing I found here is their other top 100, other than Libertor and Carlson, is a third baseman named Nolan Gorman. Um, so an, another Nolan. And he's clearly blocked by uh, Nolan Arnato. So I did see the latest report on him from Roto World is that he's taking reps at second base. So I don't think his ETA was this year anyway. I think it's either next year or the year after. Um, but being blocked, it looks pretty clear that he's going to have to make a position change. And who knows? Maybe that's why they were more um, – willing to let a guy like Colton Wong go because it looks like this kid's going to have to try to play second base. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing, just to close the loop on Arenado before we move too far away from him, Goldschmidt had the regression and he didn't even play in Colorado. And like, I don't want to make too much of a big deal about the home road splits of Colorado. And obviously Arenado wasn't as far apart as a lot of players are because he's just a talented hitter, but there is, there has to be a noted regression. There has to be, there always is. Because you, you've taken the two considerations. You know, the fact that he's going to a new team, which is always an adjustment. And now he's not just going to a new team. He's leaving Colorado. So I could see him struggling. I really can. And he seems to be like someone who wants to win. So he might be a team player. But if things are not going his way there, I could see him being someone that is doesn't fit the Cardinal way as we finally we, we opened this discussion with. Um, he could be someone who's explosive and he, he kind of calls out teammates. And we've seen that in Colorado. And it's kind of done under the microscope. Well, not so much the microscope of being in Colorado because it happens under the radar. In St. Louis, they're kind of one of the focal points of the baseball uh, universe. And if that's happening in St. Louis, it may be a little bit more um, scrutinized. Yeah, I think it'll, I think it'll be okay. I mean, that's also the, the crowd that, like, you know, 
they, they they might be a little bit overrated as a crowd. I feel like they, their <laughs> reputation is like they just gained a reputation as like oh they're the best crowd. They cheer players even when they're doing badly. Um, I don't know how much that's true and how much of it's not, but I think you'll be fine attitude wise. I don't see that. Um, but I am just a little wary with the whole NL West thing, the Colorado thing, because as far as the Cardinal way, like Paul Goldschmidt, like I think that's why I was so high on him going to St. Louis that year. He seemed like the perfect guy to be in that St. Louis Cardinal way kind of crowd. And he, I don't know if you just go to a new place and you're trying too hard or uh, putting too much pressure on yourself. But I, I will say, I think on the positive side, maybe having both of them there, uh, maybe that's a help to both both players, and they both have great seasons. Agreed. And I think the the Yachty, I think when we last spoke about the Cardinals in the Bauer podcast, Yachty had not signed with the Cardinals. And there was no other logical fit for him because he's sort of, sort of the sentimental signing for them. And you give he gives a lot defensively, but offensively you're kind of limited as to what you're actually getting from him. I mean, catcher's sort of, you know, disgusting as it is. So there really isn't that many options outside of Real Mito. But Yachty and Merlina is someone you're gonna you're only gonna get the defense and you're gonna get the sentimental value of hey, he's been here his whole career. Let's retire number four, let's have a few days for him. So Yeah, I will say on a positive side, the, the bullpen looks pretty good, man. Like um you're you're getting Jordan Hicks back. Um we'll see what, what uh role they give him. Obviously he was he was the closer before he got hurt. Um, it looks like Alex Reyes will be a bullpen guy. He's like a former very high starting pitching prospect. It looks like he's going to be a, a bullpen guy. Andrew Miller's still there. So, I mean, you could do a lot worse than their bullpen. Um, and even even their depth, like I mentioned, their projected starting rotation. And I didn't even mention like a Dakota Hudson, who's made plenty of starts for them. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be in – in the group of five, like right out of the opening, uh, right on opening day. But he's a guy that you can obviously rely on a little bit to give you some decent starts and some innings. Yeah. So the big thing about Alex Reyes to me is that he's one of those guys that are just potential and he has gotten hurt year after year. He was one of my long-term keepers when we first started doing the NA players. And I was so excited when he got the full, the full call-up, he was going to be in the rotation. And then, he, boom, he got, I think he had Tommy John or had a, so, a shoulder labrum surgery. And maybe closes the role for him. In short spurts, he can come out and be explosive because he does have electric stuff. Jimmy, you have any thoughts on the Cardinals that you want to add into before we move on no, to the Cubs? I, I feel like uh, you guys summed it up pretty good. I mean, I, I do want to, I guess, comment more about the Goldschmidt-Arenado uh, uh, connection. I think, you know, there's been a lot of hype of just that NL West teams, the players, I should say, having all these inflated numbers and then going to new teams and then the kind of just bombing. So I'd be really curious to see how he performs um, and then how, you know, if he does have a kind of bad start, how he rebounds. Because I don't know how much of a, a challenging career he's had besides playing in Colorado. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, playing in Colorado, like, don't not to, like, minimize it, they have not been really good under his watch. They've had a few playoff appearances. And that that one wild card appearance, I don't even know if he was actually there. Maybe it was a young guy there because he's been there for quite some time. He's really been playing under a microscope. And, like, he's an MVP, like, he's an MVP contender every year. But you're doing it in Colorado. Now's the time you got to do it on a bigger stage. So we will see. 
But I agree, Devin. I think their bullpen is something that could be the pretty much the the highlight of their whole um, team this year. Yeah, looking at it, that's that's my favorite part of the team. Don't love. You got Jordan Hicks who throws like 102 <laughs> yeah. miles an hour. Like that's great. Yeah, don't love the lineup. It's not the worst thing in the world. I don't love the lineup. The rotation just needs a few things to go right that are obviously not guaranteed. Um, but the bullpen, the bullpen could be solid for sure. So maybe that shortens the game for them a little bit. If I were them, I would take. I mean, obviously they're taking a flyer on like the the Kim guy from KBO, but I mean maybe they know something we don't know about Alex Reyes. But like, I would love to see him get another shot. Me too. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. All right, so let's move on to uh, the Cubbies. Well, yeah, I guess the Cubbies would be next, right? So Jimmy, you want to conquer the Cubbies a little bit? Sure. So I mean the the Cubs haven't really had a, I guess too many question marks, so to say. They're pretty set with their lineup, so we'll go with their lineup first. So, first base, you have Rizzo. Second base, Bote. Shortstop, Baez. Third base, Bryant. You got your outfield. You got Hayward, Hap, and Miller. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, looking at that lineup, yeah, that's what, you, know, you got Bryant's kind of at the tail end of his career. Baez, Contreras, you know, Rizzo. I mean, their lineup looks okay. Uh, their rotation, though, on the other hand, is not really too appealing. You have your Hedricks is your ace. Uh, Zach Davies is your two. Alec Mills, Brilliant Marquez, and then Albert Alzole, uh, with Marquez being their top prospect. So he's already here. Well, don't forget about uh, the latest signing. Jake Arrieta is back in, in Cub Blue. Oh, my God. He's, <laughs> he had a great workout, as Devin <laughs> loves to hear. Jake Arrieta had a great workout, so now he's signed. Like like Corey Kluber, like Jamison Tyone. Give guys contracts because they work out great. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I don't know. I mean, the bullpen, you have, you have Kimbrell, who's a closer, but you know, who knows if, if he's going to stay. I don't know. I mean, I just think that. The Cubs just kind of stayed pat. I mean, I mean, they if anything they subtracted. Yeah, I mean, they, they kind of got lose, rid of some of their core. Yeah, you lose Darvish. Uh, I mean, Brian's name being in the the trade rumors, you wonder how much that does for his psyche, knowing that you know he's potentially on the way out. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, John Lester's gone. Kyle Schwarber's gone. They're looking to move. I mean, even Rizzo was someone they, like, talked about moving, which is, like, it would have been blasphemous a few years ago. So no one is, like, safe from this kind of teardown. And I think, Devin, you and I had the conversation, or at least maybe I had it in my own head, about the correlation between the the infrastructure that they built for Wrigleyville and the scoreboard and the bleachers at Wrigley Field, and then the consequence of uh, the pandemic that they weren't able to have fans. So now they're hemorrhaging money. And they're trying to cut costs, and they're cutting costs off the field. They're cutting the costs from the field, which is like, you know, to shorten their window by another. I mean, maybe five years. This team was able to. I mean, at some point, this team looked like they were going to be competing for ten plus years. That all their core was young: Rizzo, Bryant, Baez, Contreras, uh, and they're yeah, they were yeah, they they were had. There was like literally an embarrassment of riches for them. They had their their system was just overflowing with talent. And they had won that World Series in 2016. It looked like they were going to like reel off two or three. And they haven't been back. And now it looks like they're back on the rebuilding train. 
And I do trust maybe that they will get back and they didn't tear it all the way down, but it's not for a lack of trying. You know, they wanted to trade Contreras. They wanted to trade Bryant. I mean, the one silver line that's coming out of this is Ian Happ will finally get his goddamn at bats. Like he's finally in the lineup. Yeah. I mean, and like Ian Happ has talent and like he's, he's, this is the first time he's cutting the lineup and they're actually like, they're not even competitive anymore. I mean, they're competitive, but they're not the winning franchise that they were. And he could have helped a, a world series thing for sure. The disappointing part of it is you didn't see the Cubs. Like you knew the Cubs were trying to tear down years ago to build back up to the point where they broke the curse and they did, you know, it was interesting to see them in the NLCS get swept by the Mets back in 2015 and then come right back to next year and win the World Series. And it's pretty crazy to, to see that they and the Indians, the team they beat in seven games in an absolutely classic World Series, uh, are doing the same shit. Uh, I think, didn't you use the, some kind of analogy with the Indians before, like, excuse our appearance, but we're still, you know, they're still kind of trying. Like, they still want people to watch it right. without tearing it all down. But you can tell they the have. The store's open, come shop. We still have the same product, but it's not good. We look ugly doing yeah, it. Yeah, they so. got, like, one Enjoy. foot out the door. They didn't keep everybody. Um, it's disappointing. Like, they're not the Royals where, like, they're a franchise where they know they can build up for a little while and try to win the World Series and then have to sell off right away. Like, that's not – they're Chicago. Like, it, one of the biggest cities uh, in the country. So, I think that's the disappointing part to, to everyone seeing what they're doing here. Uh, I don't think Rizzo goes anywhere. I do think Chris Bryant is gone in July, unless they're surprisingly killing it, kind of like we mentioned with the Indians. Like, if they're in the mix, they're going to hold on, you know, for the Indians to Jose Ramirez, uh, the Cubs. I, 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 the only thing I would want to check, I'm not looking at it right now, is what Chris Bryant's contract situation is. Because obviously if the Indians are in it in July, you got to hold on to Ramirez. You can trade him later because he's still got two years of control. The Bryant situation is very contract dependent. But I think them not trading him in the offseason was by design. I do not think it was um, like they're trying and they couldn't get any bidders. I think that they, he had a terrible season last year. He looked terrible. So why would you trade a guy like that right. when his value is as low as it can be? Let him come back this year, get a few months under his belt, and then get the value you should for him. So well, that's what I think they'll be doing. Well, he's uh, he's, I'm looking at his contract. He's going to be an unrestricted uh, after the season. So. Right, so they have more motivation to get rid of him. Um, yeah. As does Chris Bryan. He has the motivation to want to get paid. So I, I would expect him to come out and be the player that we all know that he is. And it's interesting that everyone is basing it off of the 2020 disaster. But what happened to all the years that, I mean, he put up MVP, MVP type numbers and was a, a key cog in a World Series team and a contender for many years. And he's still young. He's only 29 years he's, old. He's, I mean, a rare, he's, not young. he's a rare guy who like a, a star level player who plays multiple positions. Like, that's not usually the case. Like when you're a star, you play one position and that's it. Like they put him at third base. They put him in the outfield. He's a valuable player for sure. And he's definitely considered damaged goods right now. So I think there is something to what you just said about the Cubs. Probably if they were trying to move him, maybe the offers were a little discouraging on their end that like, we can't move this guy for anything less than maybe like a top prospect of someone's system, because he still is an elite level defender and elite level offensive player. I just, I discard 2020. I don't think it, I don't think it holds that much weight. I want if he struggles again this year, okay, maybe he's done. But I have to see it to believe it because I, 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 the player that Chris Bryan is, he's an MVP caliber player. But 
I'm I'm a big fan of Ian Happ leading off for the Cubs. I'm excited to see it. I think it's going to be interesting to see what he does for the Cubs and what he what he can do with a full season with 600 at bats, playing 150 games. Um, he's going to be someone that people target because even if the Cubs are not winning, they're going to be scoring some runs. And he's someone at the top of the lineup that will be driven in by the likes of a Rizzo, the Brian Contreras. So. He does everything too. Like he he's a guy who he'll hit a bunch of home runs. Uh, he can steal bases as well. He's kind of he's almost like a Trevor Story light. Like he's he's not as good of a player, but he's kind of in that mold. Like he does a little bit of everything. Yeah, but I think you guys said it before. I do hate that rotation. I I do see Kyle Hendricks being moved at the deadline eventually. If he's having a good uh good season, he could be someone that can net them a a, a decent a decent haul back because people are going to be looking for pitching. And I think Kyle Hendricks is someone that would be right on the block and he could help a contender maybe slide right into a rotation and help somebody out. But Jake Arrieta, that's gross, man. And as your number two, <laughs> and he had some he had some success there, obviously coming from Baltimore, and they somehow reinvented him in Colorado. I mean, in Chicago. But goddamn, I like it. Prove me wrong, but I don't think he has it anymore. And the other storyline that everyone's forgetting about is. While this is happening, while they're tearing it down, the White Sox are going are on the way up. So you're kind of allowing this to happen where – I mean, the Cubs will always be the darling of the city, and no matter what they do, they'll be the talk of the sports radio there. And it's similar to the Knicks and the Nets right now, where, like, there's always going to be – New York is going to be a Knicks town, and no matter if the Nets are going to win four straight finals, it doesn't matter. It's still a Knicks town. They're going to talk about the Knicks. I think it's the same way in Chicago with Cubs. That's at least the feeling I get, not being a local. Yeah, it's hard to say not being, like, actually in the city there. Um, But I think that's usually how it is. Like, I think of the White Sox, I think of the last time they, you know, made some real noise. They won that World Series against a pre-cheating Astros team, like, (laughs) a while ago. Um, yeah, and we're in a sneaky American League, I mean, National League, Astros. I know. Weird. I, like, yeah. I think of that as the most forgettable World Series in my lifetime. Like, I really do. Well, it got Beltron that, that contract from the Mets, so. Yeah, that's true. Um, but, yeah, that's how that's how I think of it. So, um, yeah, the Cubs are definitely big brother there. But shitty to see, man. Could you, like, imagine the Yankees, like, doing what the Cubs had to do this offseason? Just, like. Uh, yeah, we won a World Series with some of these guys a few years ago, and they have a lot of time left, but we're just going to get rid of them and, and rebuild. It, yeah, it'd be hard to see. I mean, we saw, I guess, a rebuild of Jace with the Yankees. They had the year they, they, they netted when they traded Chapman for Glaber, and then they got Miller. They traded Miller for, for Clint Frazier. Yeah, that was the quickest and, rebuild of all time. Yeah, so they like kind of rebuilt in motion. I thought someone like the Cubs would be doing that because you have the, the pieces there to – at least build around. It's not like an empty cupboard. You have the guys that are still sort of young and still have a lot of good baseball left in with Rizzo and Bryant and even Javi Baez. Like how, people forget Javi Baez is someone who's a great player. Yeah, I'm guessing they're letting him walk after the season. Like, actually, no, wouldn't they? You know, that's an interesting – why is his name not coming up in trade conversations as a free agent? Did he just have a shitty season last year or – um, I don't think he had that, that off of a season, but his numbers were a little skewed because of the – obviously – you prorate them through whatever, 650 at bats. Yeah. He was going to have his normal numbers, which is like around 270 uh, double digit stolen bases and like almost 30 home runs. Like, I, you would take that at shortstop. So would I. Yeah. I, w- I wonder what their intention with him is. Like, if they want him to be kind of the face of the team with Rizzo and they keep him around, or you can't just let the kid walk. Like, you better, if you don't intend on signing him, you better trade him and get something. 
I guess similar to the Indians, they're going to look at the whole roster and figure out who are they going to build around and who's going to be here for the long haul by the time we rebuild again, whether it be four years from now or three years from now, who will still be a relevant and productive player. And like the Indians will make the decision probably to trade Jose Ramirez because by the time you get to the other side of this, Jose Ramirez will probably not be the player producing at that same level. Javi Baez, on the other hand, 28 years old, yeah, he will be. So you might as well like lock him up and be like, this is the guy we're going to build around. But is he a needle mover for me? Like, Is Javi Baez going to be the guy that is the, the guy of your franchise? I think he's a nice complimentary player, and he's he's a really good player. He's a swagger not... guy, though. Like, People come out to see him. Like, I, I, yeah. I think he, he attracts fans, so uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do with him. No one's really talking about the guy, and he's a free agent. Well, no matter what, I mean, that's a good point you make also, but like the Cubs are one of those teams, like similar to the Giants and the Red Sox, fans come to the ballpark no matter what. It's just like they do it. So there's really no harm, no foul for the Cubs eventually when fans come back because the mantra for the Cubs have always been the lovable losers, and that's kind of built in. Like if they're losing, kind of fits the M.O., but if they're winning, it's like like an extra bonus, you know? Yeah, no, it, it makes sense. So, I mean, they did get a taste of winning now, though. So it's like the people visiting Chicago will still go. But if you put a really shitty product on that field now, I don't, I don't know if the Cub fans are going to go out and spend as much money uh, now that they've gotten a World Series under their belt. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't see this team being that, but I understand like if they break it down completely and you're having – you know, Nico Horner's your cleanup hitter, you know, like that's, <laughs> that's going to be like the future of your franchise. And I don't like the direction, but I think they're always going to be like hanging around. Like they're not going to win a division. They'll, they'll always be competitive. They're never going to be the laughing stock like the pirates are or the reds. And which I think is a good transition for the reds. Let's move on to them. So I think we'll kind of, we'll piece it together together because they, the reds and the pirates, there's not much to say about them aside from that. They're the reds are, exactly what they've been in our lifetime. I mean, there's been a few blips where they've been competitive and been in a wild card game, been in an NLDS, but they've always been sort of this perennial loser. And they didn't do much this offseason to change that. So obviously Trevor Bauer goes, they watch Archie Bradley go, Freddie Galvis is gone. And these are not players that are, I mean, aside from Bauer who won the Cy Young, these are not players that, um, make or break them they they didn't win the division last year they were close they were only three games back so they they potentially could have been a playoff team pagoda has them winning 79 games which i guess is about right and replacing bauer is i mean they're sliding stevenson as their ace which okay like he's gonna be uh no i'm sorry not stevenson sunny gray is gonna be their ace and he's pitched well for the for the Reds, but they're a team that, like, with the addition of Bauer, they had Gray, Castillo, and Bauer as a one-two-three that were strong, and it might have been the, the best three, one-two-three in all of the division. But Sonny Gray, I mean, coming from a Yankee fan, he's someone that didn't live up, but he is every bit of the pitcher everywhere else but New York. He just didn't he didn't fit well in the Bronx, and he pitched well in Oakland. He was an ace, and he is a legitimate ace here. But can he carry a staff? I really don't think so. Hear me out here. And th- this will be, um, you know, we said we need to start making uh, some hot takes here. Don't get me wrong. I-, I chose them as a fourth place team. I already made my prediction. But looking at the offense here, if the pitchers they have 
pitch fucking out of their mind, like the best years of their life, like 90% of them. They could win the division because the division's not that good. Their offense could be extremely good. I mean, they Joey Votto, Mustakis, Eugenio Suarez, um, Jesse Winker, who I hate. He's the guy that waved at the Mets fans like an idiot, um, but can hit a lot of homers. Nick Senzel, who, if he can stay healthy, which I, I feel like I've said for a few guys over and over, he was another major prospect, can do a little bit of everything. He's in center. Like If he can live up to his hype even a little bit, that's another nice piece. Um, Aquino, who came up a couple of years ago and just hit a home run every at-bat. Castellanos is still there. And then they have a decent one-two punch. You have Wade Miley to eat, eat innings. Um, I don't know a ton of the names in the bullpen other than Garrett and Lorenzen. Uh, they have Petrosian now as well. I mean, it's not the worst roster in the world. I think the upsetting part is that they just they got better last year, and then they did not do anything this offseason. Like, they let Bauer walk, which was not a surprise. But, like, what signing did they make? Like, D. Gordon? That That's the upsetting part. Like, this division's not this good, and they have some nice pieces. They could have made a couple moves after they signed Castellanos, you know, just one offseason ago. And they they could be the front runners for this division if they made a move or two. Yeah, I mean, I see Castillo being one of the first guys moved at the deadline. I can see a team like the Yankees giving up a decent haul for them, and it's inconsequential going to the NL and going to a non division rival, and then pretty much a non entity if you send one of those players there. And it could be someone like Clint Frazier, or like that's a name that's been thrown out there, even though he's just, he's starting this year. But I could totally see them just like. Because Castillo is an exciting player, and he's a free agent in 2024, so you got like three years of control. Well, that's what I was just looking at. Like, you have 4.2 mil this year, and then the next two years he's arbitration eligible. Obviously, if he pitches to his potential, he'll make more money than 4.2 million. And then, yeah, like, so if they do trade him, they better not mess it up. Like, they need to get something. They're going to have to get a Clint Frazier or like a major league level, like all star level player that is, that's going to have to be the return because you have to give something up to get something. Castillo. I mean, he can be an ace, truly. I, re- I mean, he, he should be at this point. And I'm all, fingers crossed. I have Castillo, and I, I, I love to watch him pitch, but he always has something that comes up that gets in the way. He's going to always have 200 strikeouts, maybe a little bit less, a little bit more, but that's where he's around. But he walks too many guys, and he gives up the hits that are inopportune. And not to mention he's playing in the Great American Ballpark, which is you know, not the most pitcher-friendly ballpark, too. No, not not that Yankees, not that Yankee Stadium is at all either. Yeah, I mean, um, some players that some players I like on that team. I like Castellanos. He's sort of like a Swiss Army knife player. I like him for fantasy purposes, but does that does the skill set translate as like an elite player on, on an MLB MLB team? He's a nice piece, but I like he does everything. He he gets on base. He hits doubles. He hits for power at times. And the more I look at this lineup, the more I like it. And like, if everything goes well. Like Joey Votto, if he has his best year, like if he's back to where he was, and there's no reason he can't be. We watch freaking Nelson Cruz go off every year. Why can't Joey Votto do it at age 37? Votto was almost one of those guys who, like, I felt like fell into the analytics stuff too much. And, like, he was obsessed with, like, taking walks. Like, almost wasn't aggressive enough. Like, he, he was a guy who hit a ton of home runs, and then suddenly, you know, I don't know. what How many home runs does he hit a year now? Like fifteen, or like twenty, like twenty-five, and the ball is juiced. I mean, the yeah. ball's not going to be juiced next year, hopefully. But 
He had a, he had eleven last year, fifteen in two thousand nineteen, and twelve in two thousand eighteen. And that's a, those are two full years, man. Like that's like oof. What did he have the year he signed that big contract? If you have his numbers up, Jim. That was that two thousand seventeen or sixteen? Uh, go a couple years back. He had over almost forty home runs one yeah, year. Yeah, give right? us had, give us the big home run total here. Uh, two thousand seventeen, he had thirty six. Yeah. Okay. Two thousand ten, he had thirty seven. Uh, and then he's been kind of 29, 14, 24, 6. I think that's a shortened season for him. 29, 29. Yeah, I mean, he should be hovering. I mean, especially those last two years were very troubling because of the ball was juice. You had guys like Jake Marisnik was hitting 20 home runs. Like, how, like, uh, there's something to be said a little bit about what you just said, Devin, that he's getting too far into the analytics where he's like, looking at where he should hit the ball and uh, dynamics of, like, if he walks, like, the on base. Like, he's like the walking Billy Bean. You know how I feel about Billy Bean. Yeah, it's just, like, we get it. You have a great eye, and you can walk a lot. But, like, you're uh, you're the face of the Reds. You're not Brandon Nimmo playing at the top of the lineup for the Mets where you just try to walk as much as possible. Like, you need to every once in a while be aggressive and hit the ball out of the ballpark or get some extra base hits. And I feel like he's lost that over the last, you know, three or four years um, where you got to you, – you also have to analyze, like, what your team needs from you. And in that case, I feel like the Reds need something different from Joey Votto. Uh, I don't know if he can be that player anymore. He might be too old at this point, but. Yeah. Um, as for Aquino, dude, I think he, I think he's done. Like, I think Aquino is done. Like, his swing is too wide open. They all they got to pitch him low and away, and they, he can't hit it unless he's completely revamped this year. He was a, like they couldn't figure him out for the first half of the season where he hit all those a, a million home runs. But he is what he is now. He's a bench player on the Reds. Like I think that's what he is. I mean, yeah, that's where that's where they put him. So we'll we'll see what becomes of him. He might have just been a uh, flash in the pan. I guess he'll have to prove himself this year. Dude, that stance was ridiculous. Like he went up there, <laughs> he was standing straight up. Like how do you not just pitch him low and away? That's proof that the ball was juiced, man. I'm saying, like, he just he barely put contact on the ball and was, like, hitting home runs. Oh, yeah, it helps to play in Cincinnati, too. I mean, over the last couple of years, I've never seen so many opposite field home runs in my life. Like, there there used to only be a handful of guys each year that were capable of hitting, like, towering shots to the opposite field over the wall. That's just not something most players can do. Um, and I saw it almost every game last year. So, yeah. Well, hopefully, if they're really doing what they're doing, they they say they're doing this year, we we won't see as much. Yeah, and I think those the kind of the last thing that will hurt the Reds is the fact that Racely Iglesias went to the Angels. Um, he's no longer in the bullpen, and that's just one other piece. Like he was a really good piece for them, and Amir Garrett is gonna really. I mean, Amir Garrett was the closer last year, or maybe they switched on and off. But Garrett is like kind of left there on on his own, and they they signed Doolittle this this offseason to kind of take off Racel Iglesias' role. But Doolittle is far and removed what he was in Oakland back in uh, like 2010. So he's not really the the pitcher that he was. So I don't know. Troubling times for them. I, I don't think they're going to be historically bad, but they have some pieces that will be nice to watch fantasy wise. I think like Castellanos will be. I mean. A lot of these players will be drafted, like Suarez for sure. Cassianos will be drafted. Maybe Mustakis, maybe Senzel. I don't see um, Votto being drafted. He's someone who sits on the waiver wire. He's not attractive because he's just a first base eligible player. 
But those pitches will be drafted for sure. Sonny Gray and Luis Castillo, I have them. Mealy and um, Wade Miley may be streamed every once in a while, unless someone wants to hold on to Mealy all year. But as far as fantasy relevance, there's only like few and far between for them. Um, and then moving on finally to the Pittsburgh Pirates, and things are disgusting there. And <laughs> one of the best ballparks in baseball, I went there two years ago. I don't know if you guys have been to PNC. The PNC is a beautiful ballpark, housing a disgusting team. Yeah, man. So, you know what? The, the story of the Pirates, if you look at like the whole, if you want to make a movie of the Pirates, the movie arc would be, what was it, three years in a row where they went to the one-game wild card and could never win? It was at least yeah. two, but I feel like it was three. And I feel like that is what has led to this. Like those teams they had were good enough to have decent playoff runs, at least like a, you know, a good five game series in the NLDS and they, they can never do it. And, and that's frustrating as hell, obviously. Um, and they haven't recovered. Uh, the good news is some of their prospects, I think are the most legitimate prospects that any team has. And honestly, for this team, it's in my opinion, worth just skipping right to the prospects. Like we could look at the major league roster um, I know they added Todd Frazier. <laughs> Todd Frazier's there. Um, but uh, to me, I, I also saw clips of them doing like some kind of crazy drill in spring training where they're jumping on these giant tires and trying to field balls. So uh, at least they're trying something new. But <laughs> I, I like uh, Brian Hayes. He came up for a little while last year, uh, third baseman, and looks legitimate. Uh, but nobody should draft him. It's just my opinion. No one should draft him. Um <laughs> And then O'Neill Cruz, Nick Gonzalez, these are top 100 guys. So they have some help on the way. Uh, pitching is going to take a little bit longer. This is a team that I think everyone wants to be good. Like, like you just said, the ballpark thing and those years that they were relevant with McCutcheon and they got to those one-game uh, uh, wild cards. Like They were a fun team to watch, and they just couldn't get over the hump. I, I think, man, like they have not been able to have like a deep playoff run in so, so long. I'm kind of rooting for them, and I, I hope they eventually try to have some sustained success and don't just keep on doing what they've been doing over the last, you know, handful of years. So, do you do you guys think uh, they're going to be the one of the historically bad teams? I know they're pretty, pretty bad. I mean, right now it looks like uh, Dakota has them at 61 wins. So. You think about like worst bad teams in history that we've had. You know, the Marlins, they had 57 wins in 2019. And then uh, in 2013, they had 62 wins. But the Tigers had 47 wins in 2019 and 43 wins in 2003. Do you think that they dropped to that level of despair or are they kind of just a little bit above that? Oh. Uh, I mean, I, I, who knows? I mean, historically bad is tough. To I think the record is 119 and 03, right? That's the Tigers. Um, are they going to lose 119 games? I guess it's possible, but I think the talent at the bottom of the division, like they have to still play the Reds, and like they play their division pretty tight. And like same thing with the Cardinals. They they played the Cardinals pretty pretty well last year. Um, despite them being like outmatched for whatever reason, so it's I'm actually gonna, I'm gonna leave, 
I'm gonna lean on no that they're not gonna they're not gonna lose a historic amount of games. It's pretty crazy to see that Gregory Polanco is still there. Like I, if you asked me, I would have guessed that he was traded somewhere because I feel like he's the last guy left from those decent pirate teams. Like, did they? Correct me if I'm wrong. Did at one point was their outfields like McCutcheon, Polanco, and Starling Marte, or did those guys? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that mm-hmm. was a pretty bright freaking future that just went away very quickly. Um, I'll say no as well to your question, Jim. I, I, I certainly think they're capable, but um, I mean, let me look at the rotation quickly here. Mitch Keller, Stephen Brault. Well, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm tempted to reverse my answer. I, they have the potential. I just think that's a crazy amount of losing. Um, but man, if anyone could do it, it, it might be them. I will say the one thing they have going for them is the last time I read about uh, Cole Tucker. Apparently, he's dating Vanessa Hudgens, so that might be the best pirate story. Yeah, of he's, year. Pretty, he's pretty. He's uh, pretty prominent on social media, and he's. I know he's friends with the John Boy Media guys, and he's on that show sometimes. And um, I think he's good friends with um, what's his name, the guy from John Boy, the the twins dude. Why am I drawing a blank on his name? Um, oh, I know way. what you're talking about. Oh, it's gonna drive me crazy now. Yeah, I'll get it in a second. Trevor but Cole Tucker is like kind of an exciting player. I don't know if he has the skill set to be the Kyle Tucker. You know, I mean, Kyle Tucker is going to be, I, when we, I guess when we talk about, uh, we did talk about the Astros already, but Kyle Tucker someone like he has the talent. Cole Tucker kind of just has the look, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, decent player. But, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know. I'm at a loss of words for the, the Pirates. It's just – it's Trevor Plouffe, by the way. That's the player. Trevor Plouffe is the player that's on John Boy Media. Mm. So, anyway, so the Pirates are, I mean, they're a non-entity right now, and they're kind of falling into the list of many teams that MLB has that are just fielding poor teams. And it's kind of a shame, like you said, but when fans come back, they're not going to have a lot of a good product to come back to. And it's really interesting to me, just not to have a long conversation about it, a lot of cities that have franchises that, they're obviously fans of the same franchises. So like Pirates fans and the Steeler fans, but they couldn't be more different. The feeling around those fans couldn't be any more different. Same color, same city. They play across the street from each other, but like, I don't feel bad for Steeler fans at all. They have a history of winning, but Pirate fans, like it's the same people, but I feel bad for them. Yeah. I I was thinking about that before. I wonder if they just tune out when the baseball season comes on, like it's wait for football to come back, I guess. Yeah. The video that, I always think back to about like what Pittsburgh could be like if the pirates are good is when Johnny Cueto is pitching for the Reds in that wild card game and they're chanting Cueto at him and he drops the ball and then Russell Martin hits a home run on the next pitch and the place goes berserk and everyone's wearing all black. Cause I think it was a blackout. It was insane. It was, a, it was crazy. The scene there was wild and they had the, the pirate flags, like literal skull and crossbone flags in the outfield waving. It was like, a sea of, of, of madness. And it was just a lot it was the wild card game and it was awesome. So I, I recommend if you guys want to check something out, that'd be a cool video to watch if you've never seen it. But yeah, I think that kind of wraps this up. I mean, we did the AL central tonight and we, we finished the NL central and I think we're just under an hour for the NL central, which I think is a little bit more compact and more neat, a little more bite size. Uh, hopefully you guys uh, enjoyed that episode. I hope you guys um, are going to stay tuned. The next, the next few we got going on are the East, right? That's all we got left. That's all we got left. Yeah. 
So I can see those going pretty long, and I think it's justified to have maybe an hour and a half, two-hour conversation about each division because not only are are we having we have a vested interest in them, but I think there's a lot of storylines to talk about, especially the NLE uh, specifically. Yeah, that one's jam-packed, so that's going to be tough to uh, cut down for sure. But I mean, even the AL East is a is a conversation, despite it being sort of a two team race, maybe a three team race if you want to count the Blue Jays. Um, I mean, the Rays got worse, but there's still a storyline because the Red Sox are doing something different, and we we could have the same conversation about Baltimore that we had about the Pirates. But the Rays, the Blue Jays, the Blue Jays made a lot of moves, so it's gonna be interesting to talk about. But um, I think we'll end it here, guys, and I appreciate you guys coming on again. And Jimmy, if you want to come on for the NL East and the AL East, man, you're more than welcome. Well, great. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, guys. I appreciate you guys coming on, and um, we'll talk soon, all right? All right. Take it easy, guys. All right. Bye. Put your head on my shoulder. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode, and I'd like to thank Jimmy and Devin for joining me for a two-parter. So that was the National League Central, and they'll be they'll finish up our second two-part episodes. And the next time we'll be joining will be about the AL East and the NL East. I'm not sure which one we're doing first, but those episodes are sure to be much longer because of the vested interest as discussed earlier. Um, and also about, the, I think there's just more to talk about with both divisions, especially the National League East. That, that division is completely stacked. And despite the American League East being a little bit top-heavy with the Yankees being the favorite... There's still a lot of storylines to talk about with the Rays and what they did and about the Blue Jays and, of course, um, the disaster that is the Baltimore Orioles and um, the Red Sox, who don't look like they're going to be competitive this year, but they're always interesting to talk about. So we will be coming back to you probably next week with those episodes. If any of you want to join those podcasts, we can do as many as five people and we just have to organize it, but I'm happy to have as many of you that want to be on here as possible. As we move forward to the regular season, these spots will be weekly. Probably on Sunday night I'll post them if the matchups are decided. And we'll just be talking about the standings, the power rankings, the matchups that were, some roster moves, uh, rule changes, anything that needs to be discussed. It will just be this platform instead of me doing a weekly write-up. So we're just getting in the habit of doing this. And again, for those spots as well, you guys are more than welcome to come on with me. Um, this platform is your platform. I want to use it as um, a way to incite conversation and get you guys um, excited for the upcoming weeks and the upcoming matchups. So anyway, I appreciate you guys listening, um, and I will come back to you in about a week with the National League Central, I mean National League East and the American League East. Until then, commish out. Put your head on my shoulder.